pray. Come Holy Spirit, we have heard uh, the Lord Jesus' word this morning. We have seen him in the reading of the gospel. We pray that to each one this morning you would give exactly that word of encouragement uh, that you have for them. We pray for those uh, who um, are looking for more, that you would give them that word of challenge that they need to move forward in their following after you. Come, Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And we are grateful that you speak to us. And we offer these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, the author of the letter of the Hebrews, as you heard, uh, has written to us briefly. We've only spent about four months uh, just trying to barely skim across the surface of the letter to the Hebrews to uh, receive some um, words of encouragement, comfort, and exhortation um, from this book. And we are finishing it up today, and we will continue next week with our usual lectionary reading um, on our way to Advent. Um, and indeed, uh, as we heard in the previous verse, verse 22, um, I bid you, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, bear with my word of exhortation this morning. Uh, that is because... I have the privilege this morning of exhorting you to something that you do not want to hear. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, of course, because I do know that we do want to hear and follow what our Lord has to say. But I think the word from Hebrews this morning might be a little challenging to us. Here it is again, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Since our passage might be a bit challenging to us this morning, I first want to say something about how we read the Bible. And this will set us up well for, secondly, how do we, uh, to, uh, sorry, listening to this challenge well. Um, and then third, I'll make some suggestions of what it might look like if we took Jesus seriously here. So something about the Bible, which sets us up to listen to this challenge, and then some suggestions of what it might look like if we took Jesus seriously here. So, first a note on how we read the Bible. One of the glories of hearing God's word is that it is an external word. An external word. Not only is it living and active, but it is actually God speaking from outside to us, into our community. You see, many people apply their secular lens to the church and assume that it's just a mere social institution um, or it's the morality police. That's what a lot of people assume about us. And if you've been outside the church at one time or another, you might have assumed that as well. But no, God's word is not merely our culturally limited self-talk. It is not just what we as a culture or a local community believe. It is God himself speaking to us. And one way we know that this is true is when we hear things that we'd rather not hear. God is speaking externally to us in our time and in our place. And yet, because it is our creator speaking to us, we humbly receive it as true. And then we assume that the bug is probably not on God's side of the equation, but we start questioning our own time and place. What is it about us that has a hard time hearing this? But take heart, there is good news even in this. In fact, it's a greeting for you. 
I say welcome to reading the Bible in the communion of saints. Welcome to the brave new world of reading the Bible with the church. When we get to these hard passages, we have help from the great tradition and the global communion. One of their great gifts to us is that they are here to teach us how to overcome our own cultural blind spots so that we may be more free to follow Jesus. And so as intentional inheritors of the great tradition and the global communion, we do not, in fact, we cannot read the Bible alone. The church, including our Protestant reformers, were, has never been so arrogant as to think that we individually have the authority to understand the Bible on our own. Sola Scriptura means that the Bible is the final authority. As one professor calls it, nuda scriptura, reading the Bible alone or naked, is frankly both naive and unwise. We are actually obligated as members of the communion of saints to reckon with the way that God's word has been understood in all times and in all places. Anglicans particularly love this consensual idea of reading scripture and understanding doctrine as understood by, famously, St. Vincent of Lorenz in the 5th century, he said this, Moreover, in the Catholic Church itself, all possible care must be taken that we hold the faith which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. That is how we read the scriptures. Perhaps if you're new to the Anglican tradition, or especially if you come from a broadly evangelical background, our duty to read and live the Bible with the church may be a shift for you. But I found, as with many new Anglicans, that it might be exactly what you're looking for. And if you're looking for further resources, please email me. I can give you a list of church fathers to read. I can point you to a book of daily devotions of reading with the fathers. Read the scripture and then read the fathers. Uh, or um, you can consult with our Rwanda team. They would love to tell you how you and your family can be in closer relationship with Global South Anglicans today across the global communion. So, when we get to a challenging passage for us, like the one we heard in the Epistle to the Hebrews this morning, we take heart. It turns out that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord across time and space who were not quite as challenged as we are by this. So there is still hope for us to learn it. And so, frankly, we often just don't get it when God's people are told that Jesus himself has appointed particular leaders in his church who bear a great responsibility for our souls. And thus, we owe them some amount of allegiance and humble receptivity. Here it is again, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. On the one hand, I get it. We get it. As Western moderns, we have a great fear of abuse of power. And as Americans, we have a great fear of tyrants. And as a result, we, myself included, often do not use our freedom of conscience to humbly submit ourselves to God and the authority that he has established right in front of us. 
We, again myself as well, too often ignore or reject those particular embodied representatives of God's authority that he's put right there. Often our motto can be, we love, uh, we love humanity, but we don't like people, right? <laughs> we are often afraid and choose to reject God's gift of authority and the blessing that would come from it. For they are keeping watch over your souls. That is a gift to us. But again, we get it. If you've spent long enough in the church, I know that you have been hurt by leaders, haven't you? Actually, that's a good sign because it's evidence that you've obeyed, that you've trusted your leaders. You've gotten close enough to them where this possibility of being hurt uh, happened to you. And if you've done that, you know better than anyone else the great blessing, but also the great disappointment that can come from church leaders. But it turns out that conflict and lack of care are sadly normal parts of church relationships, just like all your other relationships. Even if you really are trying to be nice to one another. Sometimes this hurt goes deep. So what do we do? Well, that's actually an invitation to do what our Lord would do, to give and to receive forgiveness for ourselves, yes, and for our relationships. I know we don't want to because it's painful, isn't it, to have to go back to that place where you've been hurt. But the good news is Jesus certainly can and does do this work in you when you ask and when you seek help from others to listen and to pray with you. I beg you this morning, please don't remain bitter, Naomi, but be open to the healing and the blessing of God. Okay, so Matt, how do we obey and submit to our leaders? Assuming that Jesus doesn't want us to put this teaching on the back burner for another time and place, and that we actually need to take it seriously, and that we actually don't need to kill it with a thousand concessions, what would that look like? In the following practical part here, I'm going to use the broad term leaders, because good leaders delegate their responsibility and thus their authority to other qualified men and women. So, as Anglicans, the leader of the local church is the bishop. This is really important. Bishop Ken is our local unity. He's all of our bishop. I mean, he's the bishop of all of us. Um, and he is our global Catholicity. He's in communion with the global communion of Anglicans. He's essential. But, as you can tell from the fact that Bishop Ken is not standing here this morning, and that there are clergy standing here this morning, uh, he's done the wise thing in delegating much of his authority to bless, teach, and sanctify to other people. First to rectors and priests, and then the rectors and priests who are worth their salt have delegated much of their authority to deacons and lay leaders and on down the line. Because the church is composed of many parts, with many gifts, and each one of those needs their own honor and their own place to lead and to serve. While the church has a head, a chief shepherd, our Lord, and under shepherds, 
This is a well-ordered whole that cares for and promotes each one of its members. So when I say leaders, I mean all of us who have been entrusted with responsibility for other people. So yes, Bishop Ken, Pastor Matt, but also the altar guild and the directors of family ministry and prayer ministers and parachurch ministry leaders and Christian employers and Christian bosses and parents who have the great authority and responsibility to disciple their children. Of course, I tell you, this is an invitation. If you recognize that maybe you have some capacity to, capacity to lead and you are not yet doing so, please present yourself to a leader. <clears throat> we love people who are willing to serve because leading in the way of Jesus is simply taking up your cross and dying daily. This is taking up responsibility to care for others as a self-sacrificial servant. Remember what the apostle said. What's the, what's the job of an apostle and the rest of the church? Let us go and die with him. So back to our passage this morning. We do need to respond to the fear of tyranny because that's the real concern that we have, right? Are leaders going to abuse their power? What has God done to hold those leaders responsible? We see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, that the answer is already right there. Christian leaders have to give an account to God himself for how they lead. Verse 17, leaders are those, quote, who will have to give an account. Of course, this is a warning to leaders. Pastor Matt preached, uh, uh, preached this last week. Anytime a leader is not merely incompetent, which is bad, but also negligent, or even uses their authority to serve themselves instead of those under their care, that person will be judged by God himself. Sometimes that judgment comes justly in this age. Our sin is exposed, we reap the consequences. But even if not, the consequences certainly will come on the last day if there is no repentance and reconciliation. Better a millstone be tied around your neck, our Lord says. Remember, authority and responsibility is always given to serve those in your care, not the other way around. That's true, in fact, for all of God's creation, whether you're the president or whether you're a fast food manager. A brief word for dads here today. Frankly, Eight, nine years ago, I didn't think this was the case, but it seems to me at this point a necessary implication of God's ordering of the family. Dads, you bear the responsibility of your children's spiritual formation. And that's what authority is. It's responsibility to serve and to serve self-sacrificially. Of course, especially in our culture, your responsibility is shared with and partly delegated to your spouse, and I think you'll see that in most of our families, even mine. You look at most of our families and you'd have a hard time parsing out these roles, right? But that being said, I wanna to say to the dads, and you should say to your wife, that the Lord is proud of the work that you are doing and have done in being responsible for your kids' spiritual growth. Well done. 
And if you feel guilty when I say that because you want to reprioritize this responsibility, I want to challenge you to have that conversation with your spouse this week. I would also love, as the family pastor, to get coffee with you and or your spouse to help you develop a game plan. What would it look like to improve our family's spiritual rhythms? If that's something the Lord might be putting on your heart this morning. So, going back to our passage, this point on the promise of judgment on leaders is not primarily to cause fear in leaders. It's to free all of us to humbly follow our leaders. God has given them that authority so that we may be served and blessed by them. It's a great gift. And in fact, we have that a little bit later on in the passage, verses 20 and 21. What you're hearing is a blessing from a pastor, from a church leader. He says, now may the God of peace, skipping down a bit, equip you with everything good. Isn't that what we want from God? Everything good from God. What a gift that is. When you offer yourself in following the authority that God has placed in front of you, you receive Christ's blessing. You receive his goodwill toward you, the benefits of relationship with him. You receive the powerful work of Christ on your behalf. You receive, verse 20, the, great, the blessing of the great shepherd of the sheep. Not merely his under-shepherds whose blessing variously helpful. Of course, that might mean for us that we do have to bear with those inconsistencies that we see in our leaders. That we honor what is good in them. That we are gracious with their foibles. And they have many. That we fulfill our responsibilities uh, that they have given to us. And that we row the boat with them and not against them trusting that, in fact, Christ has given them that responsibility and thus that authority, even if, if we were the creator, we would do it differently. This week, I've been reading the rule of St. Benedict. In his rule, which is the system that he sets out to regulate the lives of the monks in his care as the abbot, he has a beautiful, practical description of how decisions ought to be made in a monastery that... I think captures pretty well the use of authority in the church. St. Benedict says, by the way, communion of saints example, by the way. St. Benedict says this. When anything important is to be done in the monastery, the abbot shall call the whole community together. The reason is, uh, sorry, the reason that all should be called for counsel is that the Lord often reveals what is better to the younger. The brothers, for their part, are to express their opinions with all humility, not to presume to defend their own views obstinately. The decision is rather the abbots to make, so that when he has determined what is more prudent, all may obey. Seems pretty helpful, right? You see how you get both the um, order and structure that the Lord's provided, and yet this consensual understanding of what's going on. Everyone is listened to. Everyone plays a role in the decisions that are made. And yet, there's still this authority. Finally, I'd like you to see the last gift of godly authority. This is a gift not that you receive, but that you give. Intercession for our leaders. Look at verse 19. Pray for us. 
I ask you, what makes the difference between lousy worship and life-giving worship? It turns out that it's not the style of music. It's not gifted preaching, thankfully for me. And it's not smoke machines, although I am personally a big fan of incense. <laughs> Rather, it's whether God's people are prayerfully expecting to meet God. I almost guarantee you won't be looking for God to show up in our worship if you aren't praying and expectant that he would use the people he's put in place to offer you his grace. So I bid you, please, for Christ's sake, pray for your leaders. They should be on your prayer list that you name every day if possible. Because our ministry is useless unless God acts. And often, in the strange, humbling mystery of our relationship with God, God does not ask until we ask. Sorry, God does not act until we ask. St. James remind us, reminds us, you do not have because you do not ask God. Give the gift of prayer for your church leaders, I beg you, and all your leaders. In the church, we have always prayed for the church's leaders from ancient times in what we're doing this morning, the Eucharistic liturgy. In the communion of saints, we'll pray again in a few minutes. Uh, in the prayers of the people, let us pray for the church and for the world. And we'll name our bishop and a few of our pastors in the diocese. That's uh, sort of our uh, practical, We okay, Lord, we're, we'll do this. <laughs> Amen. Right? We've also set aside special days of prayer that you might, might be new to you. They're called ember days. Um, traditionally, they were the days that... Um, Ordinands were ordained, um, but, uh, which still happens, uh, but it's especially for us a day to pray for our church leaders. Um, email me and I can send you a podcast on that if you would like, um, but they're in the back of your prayer book. This is a gift uh, of godly authority that you can give. Please pray for your church leaders. So let us move forward in worship, and we will do that soon. Amen. Amen.